Welcome back to the Recovering Investment Banker show. Now, uh, this, I believe, is episode nine, and it is. Yeah, Chris. So we got Chris Kaufman here, the author of Crisis Deluxe, and today we're going to talk about bonds. And in the last episode, we talked about the crisis in the book Crisis Deluxe, and it was a bond trading operation. And we mentioned uh, a guy who came from the bond trading world and then came into the equities market and got in trouble for that. Now, who was that guy? You said he was a financial innovator. What was his name? Yeah, Michael Milken. The guy's a genius, an absolute genius, and a great beneficiary of really everybody living today, probably. Right. And he came from the bond market. And what you were saying in the last episode is bond trading is almost entirely unregulated because it's a professional market, meaning you and I can't play in that game without a license. That's right. So today, uh, Chris sent over an article from the New York Times that we're going to dissect about bonds. And I hope in this episode, we can explain what a bond actually is and how it compares to equities and stocks and things like that. And then let's really dissect this article. So Chris, are you ready to get into it? I am, Eric. All right, take it away. Okay, first of all, I want to uh, thank Nicole for uh bringing this article to my attention. This is just a classic example, Eric, of the kind of stuff we're talking about. You know, smart, intelligent, well-educated people who read the New York Times, they think they're getting <clears throat> some version of the truth. You know, they're going to the effort of, you know, sourcing highly credentialed, you know, source of information which they think that they can trust. And here we go. The article is, Buy Stocks to Prosper, Buy Bonds to Sleep at Night. Now, my initial thought was, you know, this is probably just the headline writer. The writer very rarely has any control over the headlines that are put on his article. So, you know, maybe it's not his fault. Maybe this incredibly inflammatory, incredibly deceptive trap, which New York Times are being lured, readers are being lured into, um, isn't really the fault of the article writer. It could just be the New York Times. So you're saying this headline, buy stocks to prosper, buy bonds to sleep at night, is a trap? Yeah. On the 19th of November, 2021, in the market conditions that we're operating in right now, with the last couple of years that we've all experienced, yeah, this is like unbelievably uh, reckless and irresponsible and deceptive. Yeah. All right. Elaborate. Well, <clears throat> so basically the idea is, is that, um, and Eric, should we talk about bonds versus stocks? Yeah, let's start. What is a bond? Okay. We, we've discussed that before, but basically the bottom line is a stock is a small portion in the equity of a company. So you, you own a small portion, or you can own a large portion if you own all the stock, uh, in the equity of, the, of a corporation, which means that if the, the company does well and increases in value, your portion of that equity also increases in value. But if they've got poor management or they get something wrong or the, the price of their service or product dramatically falls, you could lose a large amount of your money. You could lose all your money. So it's kind of death or glory, you know, in theory with stocks. Um, and that's the price of ownership. Now, bonds are different. Bonds are actually a contractual obligation to pay an agreed amount of money. So if you invest in a bond that's $1,000 with, you know, 2% interest, then you are guaranteed, as long as that issuer of the bond doesn't go bankrupt, to get your $1,000 back if it's a three-year bond in three years, if it's a five-year bond in five years. And you're going to get $20 a year if you've agreed to 2% on $1,000. Not a lot of money, but it is what it is. 
The reason you do that is because you want a safe place for your money. And you want a little bit of income. You're not taking a lot of risk. So these days, you might get 2%. In the old days, you might have gotten 5% or 10%. 10%, you'd be getting $100 on a $1,000 bond. So instead of taking uh, a loan from a bank, for instance, you're actually lending your money to the bond or to the government or who? To a corporation or the government or exactly, whoever issues the bond. So you're exactly right. It's, it's, it's a way, effectively, that individuals like you and me are making loans. Uh, but the hard work of documenting it and creating all the terms and conditions have been done by an investment bank who issues it with a fully documented suite behind it. And you get a bond which lists some of the important covenants on it. But it's a loan. Yeah. And so <clears throat> you're not getting a lot, you're not taking a lot of risk if it's a high quality bond. You expect to get your $1,000 back, which you cannot expect in a stock. A stock, your $1,000 might turn into $2,000 or could turn into $10 or zero. But you do expect to get your $1,000 back in a bond. So in theory, it's a low risk investment and you accept a low return because you're not taking much risk. That's the big difference. And so when this thing is called buy stocks to prosper, buy bonds to sleep at night, he is telling you, he's evoking a very old relationship, which is that stocks are for you know good times and optimism and long-term participation in the robust American economy. And bonds are take your hard-earned money. You want to have something for sure no matter what happens. Buy high-quality bonds, accept the income stream, and you know you're going to get your money back when the bond matures. That's basically what he's saying, as if it were relevant today, which it is not. It is totally irrelevant today. Okay, so why is it not relevant today, but it was in the past? Well, <clears throat> basically, we've, we've had our inflation uh, podcast because... The money, the money supply itself has been corrupted, and the value of money itself is declining dramatically. So basically, a, a bond, which is just pure money, it's a contractual obligation to pay money, is secretly and silently declining in value every day during a period of high inflation. It doesn't look like it is, but it is. Okay, so let me see if I understand this right. You're going to take a bond for $1,000, or you're, you're going to invest in $1,000 worth of a bond, let's say at 2%, you get $20 a year, and you're going to get that $1,000 plus $20 a year back at the end of your term, say five years, right? Well, yeah, you'd be getting $20 a year. You get $100 total plus $1,000 back. Over so I get $1,100 back, but what you're saying is that's a waste of time because that $1,100 is worth a lot less than $1,100 was when you put the money in. That's right. So <clears throat> right now, even in this article, he's, he's using official uh, inflation statistics, which is 6.2%. In fact, uh, houses have gone up 25%. Uh, I think used cars have doubled. That's 100% inflation rate. Um, there's lots of examples that the real inflation rate for people, the things that they actually buy, gasoline, uh, food. Oh, way up. Rent is about to skyrocket, um, are far far above the six percent. But let's just let's just say ten percent is, and I think that's that's a, that's a responsible low low estimate for what the true rate of inflation is right now. Okay. So using our example, you invest a thousand dollars. Let's say it's only a one year bond. 
you're going to get $1,020 back in a year, assuming you have a high-quality issuer, which you would. Um, so, But the, unfortunately for you, next year in round numbers, your $1,000 is going to be worth $900 in purchasing power today. And your $20 is going to be worth $18. So you've actually, you thought you're doing the prudent thing. You worked very hard to earn that money and pay taxes on it. You have $1,000. That wasn't easy to get. And you think you're doing the prudent thing. Our friend here at the New York Times is telling you that you can sleep at night if you buy bonds. Uh, and you have just turned $1,000 into $918. Hmm. You've just taken almost, you've taken a 10% hit. Interesting. So, well, this uh, this article talks about tips, treasury inflation protected securities. Yeah. So they match inflation, but according to this, provide no more than that. So how does that play into this? Yeah, well, actually, if if you have to invest in bonds, that's the place to invest, probably. I mean, they're, I, I haven't looked at the yields recently, but they're low. But they're And the problem is, is that they're matched to inf- official inflation. So they're actually, you're still losing money. But at least you're getting something. The question is, is it better to invest in something like stocks, which have different kinds of pre-pricing opportunities, or something like this, which is supposedly inflation protected, but is in fact, uh, you're losing money steadily, just not as much as you would with a normal bond. Um, So let's just look at kind of what the article says. The article is this complete spruik. So to use an Australian term, meaning kind of a, you know, a Barnum and Bailey you know, there's a sucker born every minute. Come on in and see the see the lady do whatever. You know, I love I love this. I, I love just tearing apart the New York Times. This is outstanding. Well, you know what? I used to love the New York Times, and I wish I could I wish I could support it. But they have just betrayed their readers so consistently, especially over the last ten or fifteen years. It's they're a disgrace. Actually, they really are a disgrace. They should be ashamed. the owners should be ashamed of themselves. Anyway. So here we go. This is my area. This is something I know a little bit about, which is finance and markets. So he says, <clears throat> beginning, first sentence is, you know, if you've been in the market, congratulations. You know, uh, you know, your stock stash has grown magnificently. And then he points to some stocks without really talking about what that means. For example, Devon Energy, he says up 182%. Uh, Marathon Oil up 142%. You know, and why is that? That's because of the crazy policies of the Biden administration, when we were almost, I think we were completely energy sufficient, self-sufficient about three years ago, we are now begging the Saudis to produce more oil. Um, and we're going to our strategic reserve of oil, which is not going to make any difference at all. And everyone knows what they're paying when they fill the car with gas so and diesel. So he's, he's actually pointing to some of the fever the points in the economy, things are going badly wrong. But he's he's just focusing on, oh, but I'm only talking about stocks and how you can prosper with stocks. Congratulations. It's growing magnificently. Those the, 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 the stocks he's pointing to have gone up as much as they have because it's a terrible signal for the economy as a whole, actually. It's the canary in the mine, and the canary in the mine is about to die, which means we're not far behind. Um, but anyway, so he's he's in his cheerful mood and he's talking about stocks. The uh, the heading of the next section is rejoice, yes, but then worry. So then he talks about um, he starts to get into bonds a little bit. 
Now, the problem with bonds is that, as we already talked about, in an inflationary period, you have a contractual obligation. You only get what you agreed to get when you bought that bond. Um, and so there's no adjustment for anything else. And the problem, let, let's, we're going to have to, Eric, this might be a little bit technical, but we've talked about it before, I think, in other podcasts. Okay. We, need, we need to talk about the pricing of bonds, I think. No, you know what? Let's just skip that. Let's not talk about the pricing of bonds. That could be a future he, episode. Yeah, yeah. Here's the issue. And it actually gets back to liquidity. It's what we were talking about in our last episode, about if you have a guaranteed opportunity to generate $2 million, which, by the way, this is not, um, and you have to roll over, you have to borrow again the same million dollars from the bank, and every month the bank gets, banker gets to decide whether he wants to loan you the money. Right. Okay. That's a liquidity issue. That's a mismatch between long-term liabilities and long-term assets. That's really where the risk is in this economy. So, <clears throat> and we've all in our inflation episode, we talked about how many trillions of dollars have been pumped into the economy in the last couple of years, wildly out of proportion to the growth of GDP. That, of course, is what's making the stocks go up because the money has to find a home somewhere. So investors are putting it in the stock market. So the fact that the stock market is growing so dramatically in the last couple of years, despite the government shutting it down and blue jurisdictions everywhere continuing to shut it down in their areas of power, um, is actually a bad sign. It's a fever sign. It's like a patient who's kind of frenetic and has kind of restless legs and is brightly flushed and kind of nervously tapping their, their fingers on the, on the desk. There's something wrong with that. That's not a healthy Olympic swimmer who's just exuding his vigor and health. That's somebody who's either on drugs or has got a fever. There's something going wrong here. And that's what's going on with the stock market. So we have a mismatched symptom here that it appears like things are going great on paper, but you're not looking at, wait, what, why are they looking like that right now? This this is a mismatch with reality. Correct. And when he's saying, oh, look at Devon Energy, look at Marathon Oil, they're doing so well. It's like, yeah, because the economy as a whole is screwed. Um, but that's not his point. He's telling us congratulations and rejoice. Um, here's the problem. The problem is, is that bonds have been artificially low for a long time, down you know, 1%, 2%, actually negative interest rates in the overnight market, the repo, reverse repo market. Um, so just like you, if you had invested a million dollars that you had borrowed from a bank on a monthly basis, knowing that I will pay you $2 million in 10 years, mm-hmm. you know, most of the debt out in the, in the financial markets right now is, you know, one week, one month, one year, two year, three year, five year, and has to come due again. Even the 10 year stuff and the 20 year stuff, if it was issued 18 years ago, it's going to come due in two years. It has to be rolled over. And a lot of debt in the last, you know, say three to five years, especially the last two years, is, is going to come due soon. And what that means is it's going to come due and if it has to be rolled over, it's going to come due at a higher interest rate. People have borrowed 1% or 2% for a long time. They're going to be paying 3 to 4%, whatever it is, 5%. You know, their, their interest rates are going to, their interest costs are going to double, maybe even triple soon. And what that means is it's going to cause 
distress for the many issuers, many corporations, and many municipalities who have been borrowing, for example, for crazy you know pension liabilities for their cops and their firefighters and their administrators and their bureaucrats and so forth. Suddenly, what they borrow is going to cost them two, three times what it costs them now. And what that means is there's going to be a lot of people who go into, a lot of corporations and issuers who are going to go into financial distress and might go bankrupt. So if there's widespread financial distress in the economy, that's going to knock the stock market down. Mm -hmm. So if, let's say, you got a pension fund for a city for their public employees like police officers, et cetera, and they've been borrowing at 2%. Right. They've been issuing bonds. They're paying 2% on the money that they're being lended because it's not all tax revenue is what I'm hearing. They're actually getting this from us. They're borrowing. Bonds. And they're saying, oh, no problem. We, we can still raise taxes or even our current taxes. We're only paying 1% or 2% on our bonds. It's all, it's all going to work out fine. So all those counselors and all those people on the, in the you know, those elected officials are voting themselves 90% pensions, 100% pensions for life after they've been on the council for two years, whatever. Um, that's fine. We can, the taxpayers can afford it. They won't even notice. Well, you know, if they have to re- reissue the bonds and issue them at 5 or 6% and double or triple their, their interest expenses, taxpayers are going to notice. And they're not going to be very happy that they're paying these ridiculous pensions. But that's just the government side. Corporations who borrowed for things that are not very profitable or not very good ideas are going to end up having big problems. So, so stocks to prosper, bonds to sleep at night, kind of, uh, kind of disguises the point. And the point is that I actually think that stocks, large, powerful corporations, well-established in the markets with big market shares and very good balance sheets, i.e. very low debt, probably are an excellent way to minimize the pain of inflation and the damage inflation does to investors. Because if a company had, sells toothpaste, tampons, you know, cars, you know, milk, they can keep repricing their products uh, to keep up with inflation more or less. And when they reprice their products, their revenues go up. And when the revenues go up, their cash flows go up. And therefore, their valuations go up. So, you know, the question is going to be at some point, when can their consumers no longer afford to pay for their products and services? That's when everything gets to, starts to go badly wrong. But for a while, if, if you as an investor, I as an investor, are trying to figure out where do we put our money with the federal government so reckless, borrowing so much, the federal bank, the Federal Reserve Bank, pumping so much money in the economy, Biden shutting down the energy system and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, what do we do? Well, actually, large cap stocks are a pretty good place to go. You know, my experience in Latin America, when Latin America had actually <laughs> followed policies very similar to what the Biden administration and the House Democrats are, are following and wrecked their economy, when it started to come back, the very first things to invest in back in the early 90s in places like Argentina and Chile and so forth were branded consumer products, you know, uh, cigarettes, toilet paper, Coca-Cola, um, small small package goods. Because even when people are really, really poor, um, if they want to actually celebrate or have their friends over, their family over, you know, rather than, you know, having toilet paper that's actually just yesterday's newspaper, which is what the New York Times is only good for these days, um, having actual, you know, Procter & Gamble toilet paper is a bit of a way to tell your grandmother or whatever that you really care for her. I you love know? that. 
I love, I'm sorry. I, just New York Times is toilet paper. That's outstanding. Well, that's actually, that's the toilet paper of the third world, or was. By, and t- by the way, if that offends any of our listeners, get over it. You need, <laughs> well, you need to look, you need to look at, just look critically at what has been published in the last 10 years. And Chris, I agree with you. It is, most of it has been absolute garbage. Well, and, this and article, it's a shame because they used to be really credible. Yeah, they, it's, a, it's one of the world's great newspapers, and they've just destroyed their own brand. But anyway, this particular article, which is what I know something about, is just an incredibly reckless and deceptive article. Well, well I've got a question here. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at this when stocks are terrifying. I'm looking at that section, and it's talking about the current low yields. I've always wondered, what is a yield? What is a yield when we're talking about bonds? It's just cash. It's the cash you get before you sell your investment. That's all it okay, is. So it's, it's your return on investment. All right. That, Correct. That's what I wanted to know. So in our earlier example of the $1,000 bond at 2%, your yield is 2% or $20 a year. That's your yield. Okay. Got it. Um, and if you had $1,000 in a stock that was paying a dividend, your stock would be your yield would be what your dividend is. Now, this guy in his When Stocks Are Terrifying thing, uh, he talks about, um, where is the business about the yield? Let me just kind of see if I can um, find The this very one. last paragraph. Okay. Uh, inverse correlation, blah, blah, blah. Current low yields may limit bonds' ability to counteract stock market losses. Oh, actually, I think he's talking about he's talking about bond yields here. Yeah. So the bonds are for assumption limiting portfolio loss and rising. In stocks well, it makes game. me think about uh, hedge funds like the uh, Bridgewater Group that Ray Dalio talks about a good percentage, about almost 40% of that portfolio is going to be bonds, not all the same type of bonds, but basically, that hedge is to make sure you don't lose a majority of your money in a catastrophic downturn in the market. And I suppose there's some value to that, but it also kind of throttles your growth as well. Well, no, it's okay. But so is that their current position? I haven't read this. Is, is Bridgewater uh, at 40% in bonds right now? Well, at, as, at the time of the Tony Robbins book, Money Master the Game, whenever that was oh, published, I think oh, that was yeah. 2016, he published that. Oh, so. forget it. Forget it. It's not and, that way anymore, then. No, forget it. I mean, I, I can look at. Let's see if I can find. A... I don't know if you'll find their portfolio because he he opened it up up to Tony Robbins and I he showed this little pie chart in his book and I was fascinated by that. I said, "Wow, that's a huge percentage of bonds." I didn't think that there would be that much. He also had gold in that portfolio, and who knows how accurate it is now? Because of course they're always rebalancing. But well, to me, I thought that was stunning because my portfolio. Uh, does not have that much in bonds. I have less than 10% in bonds of any kind, and it's, tra- it, I'm sorry, it's TIPS. It's Treasury Inflation Protected. So 2014, by the way. So that was- 2014, that was, okay. Yeah, that was seven years ago, almost eight years ago. So very different times. In fact, I have, have an enormous respect for Ray Dalio. I think the guy's incredible. He's, again, one of the great geniuses. But in any case, his bond position was seven years ago. And let me give you an example of what you can do uh, to address inflation, which can include bonds. Um, but I think stocks would be a better choice. Uh, what you do is you you don't own copper, you don't own cars, you don't own uh, wheat, uh, even though the prices of food are going up and metals are going up and so forth. What are you going to do with a heap of copper in your backyard? Nothing. But what you can do is you can you can find very well-capitalized copper producers with large market shares, and I'm just using an example, I'm not recommending anything in particular, and you buy the stocks of companies that produce commodities or real things that have low debt, high market shares, sustainable profitability in down markets and up markets, that's the kind of company, again, without making any recommendations, 
investors should be looking at to try and not get hammered too hard by inflation and not get wiped out once interest rates go up and a bankruptcy crisis starts to ripple through the economy. That's that's actually the way to invest if possible. You can't hold cash because cash is losing its value every day in an inflationary environment. Um, you know, land doesn't produce any cash. It just sits there. A lot of these strategies um, have real problems with them. Uh, but this guy with his, you know, stock, uh, buy stocks to prosper, buy bonds to sleep at night, uh, is using a familiar, long-term, traditional idea and applying it to a time it makes has no relevance whatsoever and is, in fact, a reckless and dangerous thing to do. Do you have full faith in the credit that the U.S. government is going to pay back all these bonds? Because well, I don't. <laughs> well, I mean, here, I see no, I see no curtailing of bloated spending. I see no curtailing of printing money. I see only growth in those things, and they're all bad. Well, so so here here's the thing, Eric. I'm not going to disillusion you because you already figured this out. But I'm just going to. This is the way governments steal money from their citizens. They steal money by destroying their currency, by inflating. So basically, you know, a trillion dollars, the trillion dollars that Biden is going to be borrowing uh, this year to fund his, whatever that legislation is called, is not worth as much as a trillion dollars was a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. It's worth a lot less. And that's because the government's pumping so much money into the economy, they're destroying the value of the currency, and that's what inflation is. So governments don't, I mean, unless you're Argentina and you really screw it up, or you're, you know, Georgia and Alabama in 1865 and you've just lost a war, yeah, they default. Um, But that's an extreme case. Most governments don't steal money from people and don't renege on their obligations to their bondholders by saying, sorry, we're not going to pay you back. That's the Argentinas and the and the, the Georges in 1865. What they normally do, which is now happening and has been happening in the United States under both Trump and Biden, it's only accelerating under Biden, is the way they steal your money is they destroy the value of the currency that they issue. So that when they pay, you, you buy a, you know, you buy a hundred thousand dollar U.S. bond for ten years, ten years, and we're going to have inflation probably of ten percent, fifteen percent for the next two or three years, say, um, and then God knows how long, how long it's going to take to settle down. Your hundred thousand dollars in ten years is going to be worth, <clears throat> let's just say, for the sake of argument, somewhere between two hundred and four hundred dollars in today's money. That's your Wait, fate. Hold on. How much is going to be worth $1,000? Wow, so it's going to be cut down by up to 80%. You're going to get pounded. You're going to get pounded. I mean, Germany, that was a, we, that's a, that could be another Even podcast. though the dollar number is going to be bigger. Right. Well, the so value, the buying power of those dollars are going to be substantially smaller. Correct. Your grocery bill for three bags of groceries is going to be $1,000 in 10 years. Well, it's, like, it's like if you raise the minimum wage for everybody, everything gets more expensive and you, you didn't actually gain anything. Yeah. I mean, that's a, there is, a, there is incredible income inequality in this country and there's various ways of addressing that, which we can talk about sometime. But yeah, that's exactly right. That kind of stuff may or may not help. I mean, I don't know at your age, you're a generation younger than me. In my When I was young, we still saw photographs of these Germans in 1924 with wheelbarrows full of money going to the store to buy a loaf of bread. 
And that was an incredibly reckless and irresponsible thing that the German government did because maybe we should talk about that in some podcast sometime it, because it shows how evil and how destructive governments can be when they decide to get really cynical, which I think sadly is the case with, the, with our government at the moment. Because what they did was they had this huge war debt after World War I. The allies in, at the Versailles Treaty made them pay this enormous amount of money and they took away the Ruhr Valley, which is where the German steel and coal came from. So they really kind of maimed the German economy. And then they demanded this enormous repayment of debt uh, and reparations for all the destruction that they uh, caused in World War I. And I'm not saying that that's, that, that wasn't, you know, I'm not passing a judgment on that. The Germans did start the war and they did cause lots of destruction. But the effect of it was the German government said, well, you know what? We owe so, so much money in marks. We're going to destroy the value of the mark so that when we have to pay you back that amount of money in marks, the marks aren't going to be worth anything. And of course, <clears throat> yeah, great idea, except that you've just destroyed your own middle and upper class. And they lit the fuse for Hitler. Um, so that was really, really a bad idea. Um, and that's, you know, an extreme case of what our government's doing today. Uh, and, you know, we're nowhere near that kind of misbehavior, but we are on the road to that misbehavior. And our friends at the New York Times are trying to keep everybody asleep and voting for the, for the current administration who are busily destroying uh, our economy um, by issuing articles like, on the 19th of November, 2021, buy stocks to prosper, buy bonds to sleep at night. Obviously, some investment bankers, not to mention the government, want New York Times readers to continue to buy bonds because they're going to be issuing lots of bonds as they pursue these completely reckless and destructive uh, uh, government spending programs. One of the things you talked to me about prior to us even creating this podcast was almost laughably talking about how investment bankers manipulate the media Absolutely. to change how the market is and bend the reality of the markets around what they need to do. And are you suggesting that that's what's going on here? Oh, Eric, I'm glad you reminded me of that. This is absolutely what's going on. I can tell you that investment bankers avidly read the papers. You know why? They don't read the papers to actually get ideas on their deals because, of course, that's a joke. They avidly read the papers because they're busily manipulating the papers, planting things in articles, which your average reader thinks is an article. They don't realize it's actually a paid advertisement secretly you know, developed by some investment banker. Um, so the only reason ba investment bankers read papers, which they do, is so they know what the average poor investor, you know, a sheep being led to the slaughter, uh, thinks as they're busy manipulating the content of those newspapers. That's exactly what's going on here. Well, that's that's a grim outlook on it, but probably true. This has been episode nine of the Recovering Investment Banker. And uh, in this episode, I learned quite a bit. I learned what a yield is. And I realized that the full faith and credit of a bond, or maybe I'm not saying that right. No, you are. The is full in faith question. credit of the, of the government. Yeah, or the of the issue. government is what the bond, that's the, the word is the bond, all that stuff. So it, yeah, sure, you'll get your quote unquote dollars back, but the buying power of those dollars in an environment like this with inflation and runaway spending is going to be significantly less. You know, over 10 years, if this continues, Chris is saying you could lose, you know, around 80% of the buying power, even though you'll have the dollars. So don't be fooled on the balance sheet that you still have the dollars. It matters about buying power. 
that's what it's ultimately about. So Chris, in, in closing here, it sounds like a better hedge against what we're seeing now and the future downturn is to invest in uh, good market share, well-run large cap companies in various sectors and diversify that way and own stocks in those rather than government bonds, which is basically a guaranteed depreciation at this point. Yeah. Bonds bonds are basically a complete dead end and a guarantee. I think actually you said it based upon a family member of yours who was a financial advisor and because he had integrity was forced out because he refused to sell the crap. Well, he wasn't forced out. He walked away. Well, that's basically creating, you know, a hostile environment for people with integrity, which no one seems to worry about anymore, uh, is forcing somebody out. Uh, and I have full respect for him. Um, uh, and I know lots of people who are in similar situations. You know, he said a CD, certificate of deposit, is uh, what is it? Guaranteed depreciation. Certain, certain depreciation. Certain depreciation. That's what he's pointing to. The same thing. It's supposedly the safest investment you can possibly have. It's actually a guaranteed way to lose money. That's what we're talking about. And the New York Times is trying to lull people into believing a complete fantasy because that's what their masters and their paymasters want them to try and convince people to do. That's a real shame. Well, don't buy into it, listeners. Don't buy into that crap. Do your research for yourself. Figure out what buying power actually is relative to the dollar and make your own informed decisions. Well, I'm Eric Knight hosting this Recovering Investment Banker. And of course, Chris Kaufman, the author of Crisis Deluxe. Thank you for being the expert again. Well, not an expert, just a a learner. We're all learning, Eric. That's what this is all about. That's what life's all All about. Yep. Until next time, take care, everyone.